Hi, this is Keith Larson, publisher of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this Solution Spotlight edition of our Controlled Amplified podcast. Today I'm on location at the 2019 Emerson Global Users Exchange in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm joined by Peter Zornio, Chief Technology Officer for Emerson's Automation Solutions business, to talk operational analytics. Welcome, Peter. Pleasure to have you. Keith, great to be here. Good to see you again as uh, usual. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. I think I've been at every exchange since it started, and I wouldn't miss one (laughs) anytime soon. So it's a real pleasure. Uh, Analytics certainly has been a major theme of this event, as it seems like it is every conference lately, um, or every magazine article that you read around industrial IoT. Um, But I do think some people in our space that that work in controls and automation might be a little bit um, uh, intimidated by the concept of data analytics and analytics in general, thinking that all analytics maybe require some sort of data science background or degree. So, But I think at the operational level, and I think you've shown that this week, analytics don't have to be that complicated. Um, can you maybe explain where analytics fit within the traditional paradigm of sensors, controllers, and actuators that we live in with industrial automation? Sure. First of all, I would say, you know, control automation people should not be afraid of analytics because they've been using them for a long time. We just didn't necessarily always call it that. So, you know, fundamentally, the the broad topic of analytics and the broad category of analytics, just as the name might apply, is doing analysis or modeling or any other kind of processing and looking at data to try to derive what a future condition might be based on looking at today's conditions, Mm -hmm. to establish relationships between causation, what sort of thing is causing Mm -hmm. something else, Mm -hmm. to build uh, hopefully an an online model that actually is looking at current conditions and is Mm -hmm. actually telling you what actions to take or maybe even taking those actions itself to Mm -hmm. provide either better performance or to prevent a failure or to do something that, Mm -hmm. that makes the world better. And in our case, you know, in automation, you know, analytics, where it could be as simple as, you know, what we did with PID loops now mm-hmm. for 60. Compare the set point to the process variable. Exactly. And take an action. Exactly. And you, and a PID loop is fundamentally a very simple model of what we think the process looks like in terms mm-hmm. of its okay. control parameters, right? And, uh, and then we look at the data and we take an action. So, you know, what we talked about today was, look, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of analytics that we've always used in our industry. Sure. Um, you know, plants themselves have been designed with what we call principle-based analytics, mm-hmm. where we use actual chemistry and thermodynamics and, and physics, where mm-hmm. we know the actual interrelations or the the physical or thermodynamic rules of how things work together. Absolutely. Sometimes we call those mechanistic models. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how plants are designed. We know the chemistry, the physics, we design mm-hmm. them that way. We also have for a long time used in our industry what is called FMEA or failure mode and effects analysis models right. where we know, you know, as I always like to say, first principle relationships like cars need gas to run, mm-hmm. right? So if your car's not running, Check the gas right before you actually yeah. start looking at database. Models. Don't need a neural network to tell you you're out of gas if you have a gas gauge. Exactly <laughs> correct. Okay, yeah. so those kinds of analytics have been used for a long time in our right. industry. What all the hype has been is about more these data-driven analytics. This Absolutely. idea that just through looking at 
the data itself, mm-hmm. you can establish these relationships, you can build a model without actually knowing anything about those mm-hmm. first principles of how they interrelate. Mm-hmm. Use that for a while. Neural networks, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, we embedded that in our control systems sure. 20 years ago um, is a good example of that. But lately, you know, all of the hype has been because of the Tremendous increased computing horsepower, Mm -hmm. um, some advances in things like machine learning and the ability to do, you know, deep learning kind of technology Mm -hmm. that that pattern driven, that pattern recognition and data uh, driven kind of modeling has become quite good. And we've actually learned how to build models by just training them through Mm -hmm. extensive data sets and letting them look through Mm -hmm. a lot of data. Can you give us just an example of what would be a good example of a problem that is best solved through principle-based analytics versus something that is really needs to be solved through data analytics of the more, I don't want to call it more sophisticated, but it's, it's somewhat more complex because of the algorithms. That yeah, are I think so complex some... is a reasonable term. Yeah. So that's a good question. An example would be, for instance, if you're trying to diagnose what's going on with a heat exchanger. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, every... Second year chemical engineering student Mm -hmm. knows how to do a mass and energy balance around a heat exchanger, you know, knows how to figure out if the heat transfer coefficient is looking at the inlet and outlet temperatures, if it's behaving the way it's supposed to be, the way Mm -hmm. it was designed, if it's fouling. You don't need to look at years of data from that heat exchanger. You know exactly how it should behave based on heat transfer equations. So go ahead and make that model based on those first principles, and you can use that to troubleshoot what's going on with the heat exchanger. So it's math, but it's not statistics. Correct. That's a great way to put it. It's math, and and it's thermodynamics and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, first principle properties of of physics and physical chemistry and thermodynamics. An example of where you need more than that is typically as the system gets more complex, and you have a system of systems that are interacting, okay, And it becomes super complex to try to put together all the rules, even if maybe you might know them, to define what that whole system looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, that's when it's really easier, or easier, I should say, to go to more of the Mm -hmm. data-driven kind of models. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, cars, learning how to train a car to how to drive is a great example, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you, if you're trying to in first principle ways, express every potential situation that a car could see, that would be very hard. So instead, you start with a lot of first principles. Hey, when you step on the brake, the car is going to slow down. When you step on the gas, it's going to go faster. Step on it this much, it's going to go that much faster, right? So those models all start with some, some of those basic principles, but then they train them with lots and lots of real-world data set and experiences Mm -hmm. of what driving is really like so Mm -hmm. that they learn how to do a lot more of the more subtle and advanced features Mm -hmm. that humans typically do and are typically very good at. No, that makes sense. Um, Terms big data and cloud are often associated with data analytics, certainly, but, you know, that's really not where most analytics need to be run. I mean, can you talk a little bit about philosophy of, of where to where people should be thinking about deploying data analytics um, and just in, in your experience and in, in, sure. in Emerson's applications in, in the OT space? Sure. As we look at what we call operational analytics now, mm-hmm. and we kind of use that term to differentiate it from 
analytics people might be running at the enterprise level where they're yeah. looking at you know retail kind of problems yeah. or maybe they're looking at even what was the best procedure that hired the best employees, right? Because right? right. you can apply analytics to really Just about any kind of problem or any kind of right. situation. So we talk about operational analytics as being solving those process or production plan operation kind mm-hmm. of issues, right? To improve the performance of a plant. Mm-hmm. And there, again, I'll, I'll go back to the heat exchanger, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, we know how that works. Uh, that data lives down kind of on-premise at the yep. site, it doesn't require cloud horsepower to run that model. Right. And in fact, the person that needs to take action based on what mm-hmm. that model, you know, is going to tell you is someone at the plant. Sure. So, you know, why not have someone at the plant yeah. run it at the plant level, be in charge of, you know, what's happening with the analytic yeah. as well as being accountable for taking the corrective action sure. when the analytics tells them that something needs to be yeah. done. And cloud horsepower has obviously gotten more, but edge horsepower has gotten much more powerful as well. So you can do a lot really locally. Very true. And, yeah. you know, edge, another interesting term that we hear a lot. <laughs> yeah, is, exactly. uh, edge kind of means a lot of different things to different people. I personally believe that edge was a term invented by the cloud guys because they didn't know what to call all that stuff that happens down in the yeah. plant, right? Or the people who wanted to differentiate themselves from the cloud. Yeah, yes. that's exactly, yeah, 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 I think exactly true. Yeah. So, you know, in general, when we say edge, and I think in our industry when the term edge is used, yeah. it basically means the calculations happening at the plant level, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe very close to where the data is generated, maybe in something mounted right next to the machine, but it mm-hmm. also could just mean that it's happening in a system that is, you know, on-premise at the plant. Mm-hmm. And... Again, it could be a very low horsepower counter device mounted at the side of the machine or process equipment in the field, but it could still be actually a big server that just happens to be on premise, mm-hmm. you know, that could be running a much more substantial kind of model. Mm-hmm. I guess I always think of my analogy for cloud analytics in the operational sense is when you start comparing performance of fleets of assets that are not in the same place, that's when I think the cloud has real power to do fleet operational analytics like that. Yes, completely agree. That's actually, and you know, I love analogies. That's actually (laughs) an example, an analogy I've used myself, right? So I'll go back to the self-driving car. The analytics that are going to run in that car that are going to talk to the sensors and figure out if that object in the road is a beach ball or a boy, you know what I mean? Which obviously the actions are going to be very different depending on what it is. You want those running in the car, yeah. right? You don't want to be going up to the cloud. About, you know, no, no. You want no, those running in the car. Agreed. Okay. Now, once you've done that, looking at all the sets of cars that have had that data and really improving maybe the algorithm that's running in the car, mm-hmm. that's a perfect job for the cloud. Absolutely. So the cloud will pull that fleet level set of data, run that kind of calculation, you know, tweak the model that's going to run at the edge, you know, mm-hmm. in the car and improve what what happens at the edge so that's a you know that's a model we see a lot is that the idea that you run it close to the process but you step back and run bigger level analysis across Mm -hmm. bigger data sets because of Mm -hmm. the cloud you have a bigger view of everything that's going on to maybe then improve what's happening at the edge yeah that makes sense i understand that uh, emerson has made some investments recently to look at some of the higher level data analytics um um, problems uh, with the uh, some acquisitions you made. Can you tell us a little bit about where that where the KNet folks fit in the the new por- expanded portfolio? Sure, I'd 
I'd be very happy to. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, we've had a long history with, I would say, the field-level analytics. You yeah. know, the original plant web that Emerson launched in 1996 was all about diagnostics and analytics in our devices and detecting things like entrained air in a Coriolis meter and, oh, yeah. you know, diagnostics and analytics that would pick that up. Bread and butter of chemical engineers, yes. Right, and then we've also done things like for vibration and rotating equipment. We've got a long history mm-hmm. of analytics in that space. Uh, you know, last five, ten years, we've introduced, you know, some other packaged analytics uh, looking at some, you know, acid classes, like I already mentioned, yeah. pumps, heat exchangers. What we didn't have was kind of that broad scale machine learning, yeah. you know, using all of the latest and greatest techniques platform that either we could do applications with or customers could use to, mm-hmm. to do themselves for the bigger problem. So that's where uh, we acquired the KNET technology yeah. to sort of fill that slot in our portfolio. And now we, we feel like we've got it kind of from top to bottom, if you will, where we have the embedded diagnostics and uh, that are in the devices. We have kind of the single, simpler asset packaged applications that are frequently first principles based all the way up to this KNET platform that can do uh, the bigger problems and, mm-hmm. and, and apply more of the data-driven analytics. Yeah. Obviously, sensors are at the heart of both kinds of analytics, uh, whether it's uh, data analytics or first principles type of analytics. What do you see going on? Obviously, Emerson's pretty good at sensors. What um, Are there new pioneers or new frontiers of sensor technologies that, that, that you're exploring or expect to be more, um, more, more broadly deployed in the, in the next few years? Yeah. We like to think a little better than pretty good, but yeah. that's okay. Well, you know, I've, I've, I got to underest, I got to play yeah, downplay know, know, just know, a little know, bit, know, of yeah. course. Okay. No, I've, so we've, uh, you know, for probably for about 12 years now, 13, yeah. we've had this strategy that we call pervasive sensing was really all about a whole new portfolio of sensors uh, to be applied to areas just outside of the traditional process and process control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll break it broadly into kind of three different things that we were looking for. Number one was they they had to be uh, much simpler to install, right? Because mm-hmm. we're a lot of times we're talking about uh, brownfield sites where they... Yeah. You know, nobody wants to have to go cut into a pipe or weld something, you know. So making them non-intrusive, making them clamp on, making them easy to install in a process was a big, you know, Mm -hmm. criterion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two was making them easy to communicate, not having to run wires, Mm -hmm. you know. So wireless technology, of course, is a huge part of of really being able to enable a lot of new sensor uh, technology and getting that going. Mm -hmm. And then number three was new measurements new, new types of variables of two yeah. new types of variables right so corrosion yeah. uh acoustic you know we use acoustic now for detecting uh, leaking steam traps or detecting uh mm-hmm. pressure relief valves okay mm-hmm. vibration of course not that we didn't have vibration but being able to have easy deploy vibration mm-hmm. so you know those three things together are kind of the strategy that we're doing to try to, to okay. evolve our portfolio into these new areas Mm-hmm. Location awareness was one of the ones we just introduced that's proven to be very popular. Uh, as I look ahead, I would say that, you know, obviously we'll continue to expand the portfolio that we have with the, with the uh, you know, the existing wireless technology. We're always looking at what a next generation wireless technology might be. Mm-hmm. And some of the areas that we see being really hot now are like vision. A lot of people are looking mm-hmm. at 
vision as a sensor that can be used yeah. for a lot of different things. Especially now that you're broadening into more of the discrete automation side yeah. where vision is much more critical than in the process industry. That's a great point. Vision yeah. has always been uh, yeah. you know, an important part. Actually, way back in my career, uh, in, a, in a former life, I actually had a vision sensor as, as a part of the suite of products I was a yeah. product management for. And yeah. it was, you know, was targeted at the discrete industries sure. where that's always been a key sensor. But in the process world, even now, you know, we see a lot of people thinking of using vision to identify whether people have the right equipment or there are the right people, uh, where there's, is that the wrong guy in the wrong, you know, in the wrong place kind of thing, or just mm -hmm. even using vision to recognize physically where you are in a plant to provide some location information. So, sure. you know, vision is, I think, an area that we see a lot of interest in. in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you mentioned the brownfield facilities, of course, as soon as you start up a new plant. It's immediately a brownfield, as, as they say. Um, so there's usually going to be many disparate sources of data in, in any um, brownfield facility that has evolved over the years. Um, so, you know, what's, what steps are you taking to really um, ease the often complex task of bringing those disparate sources of data together, kind of that data management um, thing to, to facilitate yeah. operational analytics? It's a big challenge. Yeah, it is. And I, and from my uh, observation, kind of what's happened is, you know, we had a, a huge wave of excitement about analytics and machine learning and all this stuff, and everybody ran out to kind of work on that. And then all of a sudden they realized, oh, crap, we need the data, right? You know, we can't actually... <laughs> yeah. You know, run yeah. analytics without, uh, or, or, without the data, right? Or the two pieces you need are over in these two different data. Exactly. Datas. We have the data, but how do you correlate? Right, and, that, and that's actually what I meant, right? They yeah. might have it, but getting it to where the analytics are, getting it in a consistent context where it could be mm -hmm. used and digested by the analytics. A lot of, I think, our customers have found out that there's a lot of hard work to be done still in their data integration strategies mm -hmm. and how they bring the data together so that they can run a lot of this great new analytics technology mm -hmm. on top of it. That drove us, amongst other things, to acquire another company recently uh, mm -hmm. that was called iSolutions, company sure. in Canada, yeah. who that's what they did. They're a, yeah. uh, a company that literally uh, specializes in doing data integration projects. Mm -hmm. So they come to you and you know work with you at a strategy and an architecture for how you could build a sustainable uh, data infrastructure that you could run these kind of analytics on. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Sounds like what pieces you didn't have already, you've taken some, some good steps to bring that all together. That's good to hear. Well, we, you know, we've had a, we've had a strategy here, right? We had a plan. We kind of knew what the portfolio of things were that we think were going to be key to succeed in digital transformation to help our customers. So we've been We've been picking them off here, sometimes more than one at a time. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I'm very happy actually with, with yeah. the progress we've made, both through our internal developments with like the sensors, our optics mm -hmm. platforms, other things we've done, and these acquisitions that really, I think, made for us to have a comprehensive solution. Oh, great. Really appreciate you taking the time to update us and our listeners on the, the latest uh, work you've been doing at Emerson to bring your end users along and really... Uh, put operational analytics to work. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure, Keith. Maybe I won't be quite as froggy next time. You know, yeah, we're talking a, a lot here at it's, the exchange. It's been a long week. I also yeah. want to congratulate you on a terrific event here this week. Uh, yet another really, really great event uh, at Emerson Exchange here in Nashville. So okay. it's been a real pleasure. Well, 
Thanks for thanks for being a steadfast attendee. <laughs> you bet. I'm Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. Thanks for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to future episodes at the iTunes Store and at Google Play. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time.